The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. So, uh, as, as I said, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at King's, and we're going to be continuing our preach series. We're looking at the book of Ruth, which is in the um, Old Testament. It's four chapters, and we're going to spend about five Sundays um, looking um, at it. And today, we're going to be looking at the subject, which, if I'm honest, I feel quite daunted about. Um, we're going to be looking at the whole subject of what Ruth has to say about race, diversity, and the church. Um, there's, a big, there's a big conversation going on at the moment around the whole subject of diversity, both within the UK and further afield in, in the world as a whole. George Floyd's murder by police officers on the 25th of May 2020 brought the conversation to prominence. We have the Black Lives Matter movement, We've got footballers who, who take a knee before a football match. Just thinking back to about 18 months ago, I think it was, or maybe a year ago, where, where those three England footballers received racist tweets after they missed penalties. And, and sadly, I, I was reading on BBC News yesterday about an 11-year-old boy who was being bullied and beaten up, and as he ran away, he tried to escape and climb over a fence, and he got one of his fingers caught in the fence, and it's had to be amputated. And the reason, the reason he was being bullied was because of the colour of his skin. That's, that's not all right. That is a problem in our nation today. So what is the Bible's response, and how does it affect the church? I make no apologies for talking about this, although I am incredibly daunted with it because it's important. And if I'm honest, as one of the pastors here at King's, it's, it's an overdue conversation. It's an overdue preach. I, I want to be honest and say this is just an introduction to the subject. It's me as one of the elders saying, we need to talk about this. And it's right that it's spoken about. But I also want to confess as... As a white, middle-aged man, I am a learner when it comes to this. I'm, I'm certainly not um, an expert, not, not by any sense of the word. As I've prepared the message, I realise as well that if I'd been born into a different ethnicity, when I grew up in the 70s or 80s in, in a, a village that was predominantly white, I would have had a very different experience to the one that I had. My journey, maybe some of the opportunities I've had or the encouragements would have been different. And I, I want to recognize that even as I was speaking about this subject today. So when I mention race and diversity, how do you respond? What's, what's that first reaction going on on the inside? And, and it's important to take note of that because that can tell you something about what's going on deep within you. It's worth noting that feeling, that response, and it may be at the end of this message, or it may be on your own. You bring it before God and ask him what's going on on the inside. 
I'm aware as well that for some here today, even me mentioning this and raising this is really painful for you because you have faced racism or you're presently facing it. And that may be overt prejudice or, or subtle things, but they, they hurt all the same. I, I want to say, as a pastor in this church, that racism is sin. It is wrong. There's no, there's no place for it. Whether it's overt or whether it's hidden in your heart, there is no place for it there. One of the things that's helped me in preparing this message is reading a book by a guy called Owen Hilton. I don't know if there's a picture of the book up there called Crossing the Divide. Um, he is a black pastor who leads Beacon Church in London. It's one of the churches that we're in relationship with and I've just found it incredibly helpful. And you may find it helpful to get a copy and read it. It will, it will, do, you, it will do you good. When reading the book, I found it helpful in, well, in a number of aspects, but one thing I just wanted to say to you, Owen said this, one of the things that has pained him the most is not the blatant racism that he has faced, but something that is more subtle. Never quite being believed, understood, or accepted when it comes to talking about racism and diversity. He said where he's found the challenge harder is He's talking to his white brothers and sisters in the church and they think that there isn't really a problem anymore. Everything's okay now. And, and Owen said that even as he's helped people to try and understand the issues, it's, it's caused him further, further pain. He said he's one walking with scars, as it were like a boxer who gets hit again and again. And so, as I'm sharing this, I, I want to ask you, if you're part of the a white majority in the church, which is what, what we would be, how do you engage in this conversation? How do you respond? Are you defensive? It might not be because we're good Christian people, we're polite, it wouldn't be that it necessarily comes out of our mouths, but in our hearts there's a bit of a wall going up. Or, or maybe even you think, well, look, I've never experienced it or seen it, so it can't be true. We need to be good at listening, all of us. We need to be good at learning. The Bible says that we are Christ's body, all of us. We are brothers and sisters, and that when one part suffers, we all suffer together. So it matters what different ones of us are experiencing. Even if I haven't personally experienced it, if that's causing someone pain, I should be worried about it. I should be concerned. I should be looking to see what difference I can make. So that's sort of just, in a sense, just a little bit by way of introduction. So as I said, we're going through the book of Ruth. What, what do we find in the book of Ruth about this whole subject of race and diversity? What is God's heart in Ruth? Well, Andrew kicked us off last week by providing a really helpful overview. 
And what we find here, one of the things we find is that God's heart is for people from all nations and all backgrounds to be part of his kingdom. That's in God's heart, and we see that in the book of Ruth. All nations, all, all, all peoples as part of his kingdom. And that story in Ruth rotates around three main characters. There's Ruth, there's Naomi, and there's Boaz. Ruth is a Moabite, um, doesn't exist now as a nation, as it were, but a Moabite. And then you've got Naomi and Boaz, who are Israelites. Ruth is Naomi's daughter-in-law, and Boaz is a local businessman. Now, let me just explain a little bit of detail to you, because uh, it's important for us to know. As I said, Ruth is a Moabite and not an Israelite, and the Bible wants us to understand that. It says this in uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest begins. Um, Ruth's ethnicity is actually mentioned seven or eight times in the book of Ruth. And, and, and the writer wants us to understand that because Israelites would have looked at other nations with suspicion and would have been looking to keep themselves separate. So the writer wants to challenge prejudice in, 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 in people understanding it. Secondly, both Moab and Israel had been at war together. Moab had tried to curse Israel. They'd ruled over Israel for 18 years. Israel had returned, well, had also ruled over Moab for eight years. So they had these two nations, Moab and Israel, had a war-torn history. I wonder what, what was going on within the nations there. So as Ruth moves to Bethlehem to be with her mother-in-law, this would have been dangerous or at least unwise. But against this backdrop, we see two incredible different relationships there that were in contrast to culture and should provoke us as a church. Firstly, we see Naomi and Ruth. Although Ruth is Naomi's daughter-in-law, she, she, she didn't have to stay with Naomi anymore because her husband had died. It would have been easier for her to return to Moab, her nation, her culture, her background. But when, when her husband died, she didn't. She went back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law. And this is what Ruth says about her commitment to Naomi. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. What a commitment. What a commitment we see between these two people here. As I said, it would have been easier for Ruth to stay in Moab, but she goes with her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Bethlehem. And in following Naomi back to Bethlehem, she's consigning herself probably to a life of poverty, hand-to-mouth survival. She would have been incredibly vulnerable. And these two women were different. They were different ages. They had different languages. They had different customs and culture. But none of these things were insurmountable barriers in what they did together. You know what? God loved, loves this relationship between Ruth and Naomi. Different nations coming together, reflecting something of God's heart. 
But secondly, in this account, we see Boaz's welcome of Ruth. He treats her as a valued member of the community. He treats her with kindness, fairness, and dignity. Boaz is just like a local farmer. He's, he's just like one, well, I don't know if there's any farmers here, but you know what I mean, a local businessman. He isn't anything special in that sense when Ruth and Naomi turn up. Ruth goes to one of his fields, and how she's surviving is picking up bits of grain that the harvesters have left. That's how Ruth is trying to survive, and she hopes at the end of the day she'll have picked up enough bits of grain to feed her and Naomi. I mean, that, that, that is subsistence-level survival. But when Boaz meets Naomi, and he doesn't know her, this is what he says, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work with me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Follow along after the women. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Then it says a bit later, At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, drip it in wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, that is picking up these bits of grain that were left by harvesters. I've lost my place. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Boaz's welcome and concern for Naomi and Ruth is exceptional. It goes well beyond what is instructed in the Old Testament for someone to do. He welcomed someone from a different nation, culture, and language. He was generous in provision, he was generous in protection, and his general level of care and concern. Boaz cared for a widow from another nation. He didn't think it was someone else's responsibility to look after them. God is wanting us to see a prophetic picture for the church. And at the end of the story, Boaz and Ruth marry. And we find this mini family tree. Maybe it's good with baby Thanksgiving. Um, it says this, Boaz and Ruth have a son, and they named him Obed. He was a, have we got any Obeds we're giving thanks for today? I don't know. Um, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So we find Ruth the Moabite appears in the family tree of David, Israel's greatest king. We also find she appears in Jesus' family tree, the greatest, greatest, greatest king that has ever, ever existed. Showing that God wants the nations to be united in his kingdom and he has woven he has deliberately woven different tribes and tongues and languages into his big purpose. So what about God's heart for today? Does the Bible have anything to say about church right here, right now, when it comes about to race, diversity, and the church? Well, the Bible has lots to say. We're, we're only going to hint at it a little bit, but, but it has a lot to say. John 3.16, 
really familiar words. What does it say? It says, for God so loved the world. All nations, all tribes, all backgrounds. Mark eleven seventeen. Jesus says, my house, that's the church, shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Luke 24, verse 47. Repentance and forgiveness of sin proclaimed in all nations. And then look at this picture from Revelation chapter 7, which I think is awesome. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb. Now, what an awesome picture is that. And I don't believe it will be all the English Christians in one place, all the French Christians in another place, all the Ghanaian Christians in another. I reckon we're all going to be mixed up. Are we going to be glorifying and worship in the king? My, my friend who's an, a pastor from India says, you know what? There's going to be more Indians in heaven than any other nation. You know, he's, he's, pr he's proud of that. That's, that's just how it's going to be. Diversity and unity were an issue in the early church as well. They were an issue in the early church as well. In that era, the divide was between Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers. The Jewish believers had all the Old Testament history, all of the Old Testament tradition, and, and the non-Jewish believers, they came into the church, they had none of it. They had none of it. Maybe the simplest solution would have been, well, a church for the Jewish believers over here and a church for the non-Jewish believers over there. But that is not God's intention. That's not how God wants it to work. It says this in Ephesians 2, verses 14 to 16. For he himself is our peace, that is Jesus Christ, who has made the two groups one, that's Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Firstly, whatever, whatever nationality, whatever background, we need to come to Jesus Christ and find peace with him. But the gospel doesn't just speak about vertical peace, it speaks about horizontal peace. It talks about old dividing walls, old barriers, old hostility, old prejudice, going. And the two becoming one new humanity in Christ. That dividing wall going. So for the Jewish church in their day, which would have been in the majority, some things in their culture had to die in order for the non-Jewish to come into the church. Amen. Thank you, Tom. It's like mixing two colours together. If you've got a pot of blue paint and a pot of yellow paint, it's not, it's not that we're trying to get all of it the same colour. You mix the two together and what you get is something new. You get something different. The yellow pigments, I suppose, are still there. I think they are. And the blue pigments are there, but the together is a different colour, a different expression. Not that one culture becomes like another. 
We love each other in difference and we find unity in diversity. And of course, this is not just about race. This could be about all sorts of different things. This means that when you gather, and I'll speak to those of you, I'll speak to you white majority. I don't even really like that phrase, but you know what I mean as I say it. I speak to you. When we gather, we need to be willing to absorb things that are maybe not dear to us, but may be precious to someone else in the church. If you come along on a Sunday and you enjoy 75 plus percent of everything that happens, we are probably not expressing diversity and unity in how we worship together as we should be. You should come with an expectation that some things just don't maybe fit with your expectations or your background as much as you would naturally like. I also want to commend you who come from another nation because I know that even as you come through the door here, you're already laying down some of your preferences in order to be with us. The way you'd want to worship, maybe how, how, how the preach goes or, or how we pray. And, and I just want to say thank you so much. If you are here from another nation, I love the fact that you are here with us. You make us more, uh, you make us so much better because you are among us. You, you, you are welcome and, and, and please forgive us where we don't welcome as we should. God's heart is for unity of ethnic diversity, that we should be united in his kingdom. Not that diversity becomes erased, but we come together. And as we do that, we bring more glory to God. So what now? And I've, I've, I know I've got to finish up very, very quickly. The UK is very, very diverse. It's brilliant. The church, to be, the church needs to be more than just a community of different nations in a room together on a Sunday. The church needs to be more than just a community of different nations in a room together. Diversity in unity is more than that. So where do we go corporately? Well, firstly, we need to have a theology of diversity. Basically, we need to know what the Bible says when it comes to diversity. We need to teach it, we need to understand it, and we need to embrace it. So in a sense, this is just like a first step in doing that. Our blueprint should come from scriptures and not necessarily from the culture around us. There's things we can learn from the culture, but our blueprint needs to come from the Bible. We need diversity in leadership. Cultures, generation, class, right across the board from, from home group leaders to serving team leaders to ministry team leaders to pastors to elders. We need diversity in worship. That probably is the area where we need to lay down personal preference most of all. It should ref reflect the community that we are. And we need diversity in relationships. 
Now, I'm not just talking about who we speak to at the end of the meeting, all that is really, really important, but it's also about who do we have around our meal table? Who, who, who do we do hospitality with? So where do you start? Where do I start personally? We start in prayer. It's always the best place to start. Let, let's pray for us as a church that we would more reflect God's heart for what we should look like. Let's pray, if necessary, for some that we would see and understand that we would be able to empathise with some of the things that are going on. Let us read. Let's read the Bible. Let's see God's big plan. Why not reread Ruth and look at what you see as you read through it? Why not go and buy on Amazon at the end of the meeting Owen Hilton's book on crossing the divide and give yourself to read it and to understand and thirdly, let's reach out. All of us can do that in probably about half an hour's time. Let's reach out to just someone who's from a different background. For some here today, what you need to do is repent. Either because you have been racist in what you've done or what you've thought, Or maybe, maybe you've just had a passive indifference to the whole thing. And we know when we read the Bible, we don't have that option. When one part of the body hurts, we all hurt together. And maybe you just need to take a pause for a moment and think some of those things through. Can I invite the band back up, please? I know that probably what I've been talking about today has made some feel very uncomfortable. Um, and I, at one level, am not trying to make you feel uncomfortable, but if you are feeling uncomfortable because of what has been communicated, let, let that sit for a bit. Try and work out why that is the case. Let me just give you a few moments just to think and pause and reflect on what I've been saying before we have a chance to respond in a slightly different way. Can I invite you to stand, please? Jesus, I thank you for your big vision of the future. People of every tribe, tongue, language and nation around your throne, giving glory to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I thank you, Jesus, that we are an outpost of heaven. Lord, we're called to reflect something of that. And we thank you, Jesus, it is only possible because of what you have done, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Lord, you have removed hostility between us and you. 
and you've destroyed any barriers that exist, Lord. We, we want to put that into practice. Lord, we want to grow a church here that reflects your wonderful black plan for eternity. Lord, if that means personal change for us, Lord God, would you help us to make that change? Lord, we worship and we glorify you, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.